right, good morning everybody. Romans chapter number 7, if you will. Romans chapter number 7. And uh, I'm uh, doing double duty again tonight, this, this morning, so you can uh, have pity on me for just a moment, and then you can give it to me later, okay? We've been uh, talking about this issue here the last couple weeks about uh, really kind of what is this thing called grace, and uh, we want to go back into it. We've been looking really at Romans 6, 7, and uh, 8 here kind of in, in a very broad manner. But uh, as we begin to look at this issue uh, on this thing called, what is this thing called grace? Uh, we first define grace really as a free gift. And uh, all that God is able to do for you and through you and to you because of Calvary. And then last time we, we were looking at that issue uh, of uh, coming back again out of Romans 6 and about law and grace and, and really law, the, the law, that word law is a term that just simply means that which governs power to control or tendency to rule over. When you get into scripture, the context will tell you really then what that law is referring to. And as we look this morning here in Romans 7, uh, we're going to see this issue about, we saw in Romans 6, you're dead to sin. Here's your position. We're going to put on this uniform, okay? And this uniform isn't our old, our, our, our old man, our sin, our flesh has all been dealt with. It's all been crucified. It's all been killed at Calvary. And now I'm going to put on this new life I have. I'm a dead man, and I've got, but yet at the same time, I have life. And I have a new life. And literally, what, and that's God's grace. And, and I tried to show you that and walk down through that. And, and really, there in Romans 6, the, the crux of it is verse 11. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. Through, you, have to, you have to reckon it yourself, okay? I can stand up here and make a fool out of myself and scream and kick and do everything to get you to see, but you have to count it to be so. You've got it to reckon it, figure it in, and so forth. And, and, and then when we come over into chapter 7, we find out that not only are we dead to sin, but now we're dead to the law. And the law motivation is the issue of fear. And it's fear of really losing a blessing, losing something. All through Israel's program, all through the Old Testament, Israel was always scared of losing Losing the land. Finally, actually, the land thing, they lost the land. They were worried about it, and God reaches in and says, no, I will get it, keep it for you. I will do, and so forth. Where grace, the motivation really is love. It's gratitude. It's thankfulness. And uh, really, it's thankfulness for all that Christ has given to us, all that God has given to us in his Son. And as we begin to kind of get our mindset orientated, to the details of grace, life in Christ Jesus, then usually what happens is life reaches up and becomes a problem. And life reaches up and says, hey, don't forget about me. I'm still here. And it's a wonderful thing, quite honestly. It's actually brilliant. It's the wisdom of God that not only does he save you, that issue of salvation in the initial tense, in the, in the initial, in the past, but he also saves you now in the moment, in the present. And that's that issue of sanctification. That's the issue of our walk. 
He's going to ultimately save us out in, in the future, and that's our glorification and those three tenses of salvation. Every time you read, you know, in Philippians, he tells them, work out your salvation. Well, that's not justification. The preceding verses above that, they're, they're terrified by their adversaries. they got a lot going on in their life. And he says, work that stuff out to, salvate, to save you from it, to rescue you from it. So there's a thinking, there's a mindset here. So not only do we learn our position, we've got this new position. We play first base, but now we're going to find out we've got to be playing in the right rules, in the right system, in the right program. So I'm not going to play first base according to soccer rules because it won't look right. It won't work. It'll, I'll be trying to kick the ball instead of catch the ball, see? It just doesn't work that way. So, so then what happens in all of that is then life kind of just sticks up and says, hey, I'm still here. And you really begin to see it here in Romans 7. And, and I just want to spend the morning a little bit of time with you looking at this. Um, if I get to where you see me wiping my nose and stuff, that is because last night, this morning I woke up with a head cold or something, and I thought that DayQuil will work, and it doesn't when I get to talk, and it just releases everything. So I apologize for the handkerchief. Growing up, you always, men always carry two handkerchiefs, one for someone in need and then one for yourself. So, you know, it's just like wearing a hat, you know. When you come into a building, you take your hat off, the etiquette stuff. You don't see that anymore, but especially when you come into this room, <laughs> We, you're supposed to take your hat off. Anyway, that has nothing to do with this. Romans 7. <laughs> Romans chapter 7. Just look, at, look, if you will, here, uh, and we'll just start reading here at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Actually, you know what? Let's go up. Well, yeah, that's good. We'll just stay here. Go back up in chapter 7. You look at verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. You see that ye also are become dead? Not only are you dead to sin, Romans 6, but now you are also dead to the law. And then Paul is going to lay out here that the issue isn't the law, the issue is you. The law of God is righteous, he's going to say. The law of God is just, it's adequate, it's right there. But the problem is, you, verse 14, I am carnal, sold under sin. Now when we go through this, the I here is Paul. Paul is going to be talking about himself. I know sometimes people say, well, this, he's talking about an unbeliever back and forth. Why would he talk to believers about how an unbeliever felt? No, he's talking about him. He's using himself as an illustration of, hey, this is what happens with, to, an unbelie to a believer when you get your eyes off of where you're at and off of who you're supposed to be. Verse 15, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Now, isn't that an interesting verse? What I would do, I don't. And then what I don't want to do, that's what I go do. See? For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. But then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, 
I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And again, Paul here, he's talking about the conflict that exists within the life of a believer. Notice verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Look at verse 22. For I delight in the law of God after the what? The inward man. That's a saved man conversation here. It's not talking about being saved in the condition of an... Only a saved person would talk about their inward man. Only a saved person would say, verse 24, O wretched man that I am. A lost man does not say that. They say, what a great guy I am. See? This, here, here is Paul, and what's he doing? He says, look, there's a conflict between the old man and the new man, okay? So here's Calvary. Here's the old man. Sorry, guys, you're on the old man's side, okay? Here's the old man, and then here's the new man. You guys got the new man, okay? You have the new man too, but illustration per. And there's a conflict, and when I walk in the spirit over here, I, there's a, there, there, and I walk in the flesh, there's this conflict that's going to continue to go. And what Paul begins to do is, he's, if you look there at verse uh, 21, I find then a law. See that? That when I would do good, evil is present with me. A law. That which governs. I, I find something that's going to has the power to control me, to rule over me. And I've got a conflict here. And literally what you're reading is a conflict between law and grace. Look back in Romans 6. Just see this in Romans 6. Romans 6, if you go back there to verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Drop down to verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, but ye are not under the law, but under grace. When we're going to walk and we're going to live our lives, we have two realms to work and walk. We can walk in the flesh, the old man, or we can come over here and walk in the spirit, in the new man. And when we take those two things and we begin to kind of work them out in our thinking and work them out in our, you know what? There's a conflict that arises. And there's something that, that comes up here. Look in chapter 7 here. Look at verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin. See that? Motions of sin. Romans 6 that the body of sin might be destroyed. There's sin and your body go hand in hand with each other. 
The law comes in with the law is the knowledge of sin. And the knowledge of sin now looks over and says that with your body, just your flesh loves the law. Loves to be told what to do. Just tell me what to do so I can go and do it. So what are we? We're going to come over here and we're to, as believers, we're going to crucify that, set it over here. We're not working, and we're going to work over here now in the spirit. By the way, if you come to chapter 8, just real quick here, in verse 1, chapter 8, in verse 1, walking in the flesh. Yeah, by the way, just remember, walking in the flesh is to walk in the law. Walking in the Spirit is going to be walking in grace. So when he says, I function and I'm operating and, you know, I'm over here in my flesh, like in 718 there, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. When you walk in your flesh, the law comes in and is your, is your right arm of ba-boom. But when you walk in the Spirit, you're going to walk in grace. Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So what's the rule? What's the governing tone of the Spirit? Life in Christ Jesus. What's the governing tone? What's the rule of the law of sin? Death. Destruction. So you've got this issue here where you, you come in, by the way, verse 3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled where? In us, not by us. Not us out here doing and keeping the Ten Commandments. It's fulfilled where? In you, in your inner man. Why? Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit? For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So when we get to talking and thinking about what is this thing called grace, really, literally what we're saying is, will the real you stand up here? Will the real you be acknowledged? If you're going to work and function over here under the law, you're just going to live a life where you want to live it which is usually in sin. But if you're going to come over here and you're going to walk and live in the flesh, in, in, the, in the spirit, now we've got life in Christ Jesus. Who makes that choice? You do. See, God laid his grace out there. He says, this is what I'm doing for you. I'm making you complete. I'm blessing you. I'm fully equipping you. But you have a decision to make here. Come over to Galatians chapter 5. So if you just kind of catch here, when we walking in the flesh is to walk under the law because what you're doing is, is you're saying, give me something to do because your flesh says, I need something to do. Resting in who you are in Christ, no, I'm already there. I'm good to go. Look at Galatians 5 and notice this verse 16. For this I say... Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Okay? How do I not fulfill the lusts of the flesh? Walk in the Spirit. Duh. Sorry. What's the verse say? The, ver the Word of God effectually worketh in you that believe. Believe the verse. 
Guess what's going to happen? Galatians 5.16, what's going to happen? I won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh if I'm over here minding the things of the Spirit, the things of Christ. But that didn't mean that that flesh doesn't try and get in there. and It just says, I'm not doing this. Verse 17, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Note, look at the impact. By the way, uh, 5.16, that's Romans 6. Verse 17 is Romans 7. But look at the impact that the flesh has on your life. There's some things that we're to go be doing over here. There's some things that we're to be accomplishing. And the flesh comes up and says, no, don't worry about that. Somebody else will do that. And now I'm over here and we've got this conflict. We've got this war going on in your inner man. They're, they're contrary the one to the other. So that ye cannot do the things that ye would. There's some things that, that God would have you accomplish in your life. You go over there, and we study Ephesians 5.18, being filled with the Spirit. What is that? You go to the the sister, you're looking at me. Hold on to Galatians. Ephesians 5.18. This is uh, where we get to to depart from the text. (laughs) Ephesians 5, verse 18. You guys okay? All right. He says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What is that? Well, Colossians chapter 3 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Same, con- same verse. So to be filled with the Spirit is, let, is to let the word of Christ dwell in you rich. It's to come along and it is to be the controlling mechanism in your life. What is, the word of God is to control every aspect of your life. No matter what that aspect looks like, it's to come in and it's to be the controller. Then he says, verse 19, 20, and 21, he talks to you, your volition, you. And he says, speaking to yourselves. Over in Colossians, he'll say, speaking to one another. Here, it's you. What do we got? We got a mel- making a melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. That's you. What am I to have? I'm to have an inner harmony. I'm to have an inner melody in my heart to the Lord. I'm taking in the word of God rightly divided. I'm learning about who I am in Christ. I'm learning about the grace, the the riches, the exceeding riches of his grace. And I'm to have that be what's gelling in my inner man and what's moving me and what gives me the pep in my step and the bounce in my step and all of it. And then he says what? Give thanks unto God and the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And and that and the Father is a tremendous relationship that you and I have with the Father. Verse 1, he calls you dear children. You're, uh, You're accepted in the beloved. Folks, we are so loved. We are dear children. We're beloved. We're deeply loved. We're greatly loved. And he says, you've got this relationship, and you ought to be thankful for it because your destiny was the heaps of the hills of and the valleys and the lows of the lake of fire. That's where you were headed. You ought to be thankful for that. But then he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now I'm choosing to do what? Submit, servant, service, have a servant's heart to one another. And if I have this in me, 
19, 20, and 21 is not outside, out, outward out there. It's inward. It's right here. Then when I picked and choose to play and be in the role of a wife, the role of a husband, the family roles, the work roles, then where am I coming from? I'm coming from an inner melody, a, a thankful heart, and a servant's heart. By the way, look at verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as the husbands commanded you and tell you what to do. doesn't say that. Now, I know that out there in Christianity, it, say, it doesn't say that, does it? It says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto who? If you are, you ladies, wives and potential wives, if you are doing verses 19, 20, and 21 in your life, then to come over here and to be a wife and to be in a role of, of a submissive wife is not a hard thing to do. Why? Because I'm already submitting myself one to another. I've already got that mindset, that doctrinal picture. I can just walk right over here and be who I, because he asked me, I said I do, and we're on. And we're going to have a life together. I don't, there's no, well, you know, he's a jerk. Well, yeah, you married the jerk, you know. <laughs> well, she's a jerk. Yeah, well, you married her. So it's none of that. It's, and it isn't coming in and saying, you've, and by the way, guys, husbands, it's not your job to tell your wife how to be submissive. That belongs to the Lord. That belongs to being in verse 19, 20, and 21. You see how this flow? This isn't flowing out here and you've got to do. It's flowing of you individually in the proper place, having a walk in the Spirit, taking that walk of the flesh and putting it. It's crucified. It's dead. It stays over there in the cemetery. I'm over here. Now, they're going to conflict, but when they do conflict, by the way, do husbands and wives fight? Not at all, right? No, it's just peaceful bliss. Pfft, right, okay? <laughs> yeah. No, when those conflicts come up, what do we do? We say, this is what we're doing, and you can come at it at death com zero instead of five, and we can work down through it. My point is, is walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, it influences every role of your life. By the way, verse 25, husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And then he goes down, if you come down to verse 33, but husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself for it. He didn't give a piece. He gave 100%. He's in 100% looking out for the betterment of the church. By the way, first, or Titus chapter number 1, verse number 2 God that cannot lie promised before the world began the issues of eternal life. The only people back there before the, before the world began was the Godhead. They make a pact of an agreement that we're going to provide eternal life to, the human, to humanity over here, to creation, because they're going to be in a mess, and this is what we're going to do. And the, the, the Godhead agree in one and a unified front that this is what we're going to do. And when the Lord humbled himself and made himself of no reputation, he does it for himself. And that you take that word reputation and you get into the definition of it, and one of them is the issue of esteeming. And then you go back up in Philippians 2, and right above that, what are we to do? Esteem others better than themselves. The very fact is, is that when you were a sinner, God, the Godhead esteemed you better than themselves. 
and he came and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And he goes and he died for you and you were a no-down, dirty, rotten dog. You were the scum of the earth. You're a sinner. You're ungodly. You're without strength. You've got no hope. And he says, yeah, you do. I'm over here. See, that's grace. That's the mindset. That's the thinking of it. So when you come back, and by the way, verse 33, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence the husband. That's the great need in marriage. You don't need a house. You don't need a boat. You don't need a car, a truck. You don't even need children. By the way, notice the end of that verse is with a period. Children do not make the marriage. Husband and wives make the marriage. And doing what? Being with that filled, uh, spirit-filled life. Then he goes into children. Obey your parents. Parents, the team, the tag team, mom and dad. And the tag team is set. By the way, the honor, thy father and mother, that's older children. So as little children, you got your parameters. You're, you're raising the savages to be somewhat, hopefully, a decent citizen in the society, and they, you get in there, and then as older children, what can they do? They honor. Why? Because they're walking where you let them, and that's why he says in, in verse 4, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. By the way, what, what provokes wrath? Romans, come on, Romans 4, Romans 4, Romans 4. Romans 4, verse 15, because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no trans... What works wrath? What provokes wrath? Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. What's that? That's the law. By the way, how long is a man under the law under the law? Till he does what? Till he dies. I would, I would hope that you, you dads and mom... By the way, fathers provoke... That doesn't leave mom out. Okay? If you're leaving your wife out, your mom out of the raising of the children, you're doing them a dastardly deed. Does it? Fathers, set the standard. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Here's what we're going to do. And the wife comes and mom comes and they work together. Bring them up, by the way. Take them through every detail of life. Teach them. Implant the word in their conscience, in their inner man, and get it down in there. And when you walk that way, you begin to be led by the Spirit of God. You begin to be filled with the Spirit of God. And next thing you know, you've got children that grow up and they honor mom and dad because they're right there. Not because mom and dad said this, do this or else, but because they see the significance of it and the importance of it. And they're right there. That all starts with walking in the Spirit. I'm trying to show you how it just trickulates out down into life. We didn't go up here to, we're not at Harvard Law in the ivory towers. We're where? We're right down here where you live. And then you got the servants and the masters, so now we're out in the work society. We're out amongst culture, and here we are. By the way, back up in verse 31 there of chapter 5, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Folks, when you got married, you, you created a new family identity. Your mom and dad have no say over your, your new identity. I'm sorry. 
And parents, as you raise your children, you need to raise them with that understanding that, you know what, one day they're gonna, you're going to look at them as an equal and an adulthood issue. And when that happens, then you're going to treat them as adults and not as children over here under your tutelage, tutors and governors, but you're going to look at them as adult children and you're going to be able to say, look at them, wow, what a great deal they did. And let's love them. And then when they make a mistake, you love them. You don't beat them over the head with it. And you don't violate 531. Why? Because that's a whole new identity. So when you come back to Romans 7, actually go back there to Galatians 5. We didn't even do the next verse. Galatians 5. You see, what's interesting about law and grace, when you've got a life filled with the Spirit, letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, let that Word of God's grace come in and run and and dictate every little detail of life whether it's over here just in you and your volition and where you'd make decisions and you're going to be held accountable for them or if it trickles down if you're married and your relationships and then in your family and then out in the workplace. When you let that happen and you, you, you get in there and you study it out and you, and you let her, just let it go, you know, let it go. Then verse 18 of Galatians 5 comes into play. But if you be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. When you walk in the law, you're not led by the Spirit of God. Oh, but Rick, it's verses, it's Bible, but it's not where you're supposed to be. When you walk along, when you walk in the Spirit, when you walk in who you are, by the way, the grace of God will never, never, ever lead you to live and walk under the law. Because what does the law produce? Wrath. Ultimate spiritual death. Come back to Romans 7. You see, when you walk, on, when you walk along and you react to, to an event or to something happening, you've got a choice. I can react to it as who I am in Christ, or I can come over here and dump a law on it and, and try to run it and rule it and engage it. Romans chapter 7, where we were. So when we talk about this thing called grace, yeah, we're talking about God's wonderful grace, and yes, all that He's able and freely to do for us because of the cross work, and yes, we have this identity, but there's also some things here that we have to begin to kind of grow up in, and we begin to have to walk in. Look at verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Here's the answer to the great conflict, the body of death here, the conflict. I come over here, I try to do what's right, I just do what's wrong. And then when I don't want to do what's wrong and I want to do what's right, I'm still doing what's wrong. I can't get out of the way. He says what? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. You see, the answer is what God has provided for you in Christ. It's not what you did or didn't do, but it's when you walk consistent with the program of grace, when you walk consistent with who you are in Christ, when you walk consistent where God has placed you in Christ. That's why right division is so important. 
not because we can win debates and arguments, but rather so that we understand who we are in Christ, so that we understand where we're to go to get the information for me. Come over to Ephesians chapter 3. You see, in grace, there's tremendous empowerment for the believer to handle the struggle between your flesh and the spirit. This great struggle here, he's enabled it. He's he's, he's equipped you. And rather than trying to figure it all out in the energy of yourself, come over here and let God's grace teach you. Teaching us that denying we should live. I'm going to deny that, and we'll come live this way. Look at Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family of heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit, where? Come on, you can talk to me. In the inner man. Okay? He, notice he doesn't strengthen you by, with might by the Spirit on the outer man. He says where? On the inner man. The source of power for the believer today is the Spirit of God working in the inner man. The power of God in your life comes from the Spirit working in the inner man. And that's why the inner man is the issue. That's why it is the focus. And when, you, when I look for the power of God, and when I'm out there looking for something on an outward demonstration, you'll never find it. You may see something and say, oh, wow, that looks like it, but that's not the real deal. Why? He's not working outwardly. He's working where? Inwardly. Come on, uh, hold on. Uh, well, you can let it go fly. It's Philippians chapter 2. Just look at Philippians 2 on your way to Colossians 1. You see, the Word of God is what the Spirit of God uses to energize the believer. It's where His power is. It's the source of it. Philippians 2, verse 13, Paul writes, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Where is He working? In you. So then what do I need to get in me? I need to get in his word rightly divided. I need to get in that stuff that he's going to work with. Now, if I build up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in there, he ain't working in that, but it's good to know. It's good to have in there. But, man, when I get over here in Romans to Philemon, boom, there it is, and I'm ready to roll. I get over here in Hebrews to Revelation. You ought to know that. That's wonderful things. You ought to do it. And, boom, you know that Paul demands that you understand your Old Testament? He constantly drags us back into Genesis 1. And some of us are so Bible dumbbells about Genesis 1. And you're, you need to know that. Why? Because Paul pulls you back there. Romans, Paul pulls you back over and over again to Genesis. He does it in Corinthians. He'll pull you back. Now, Ephesians, he pulls you back before, before the foundation. We're to know it. Colossians, but where's he working? Inside of me. Colossians 1, verse number 9. For this cause... We also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That, the purpose, the intent of 
having being filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. What, what motivates your walk? What gets you going? What, you say, you know what, I'm going to get up today, I'm going to live for the Lord today. And about an hour and a half in, you're now down off, you know, drinking something, or doing, not, <laughs> you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. What happened? Well, what, what does that verse say? We need to be filled with what? We need to be filled with some knowledge, don't we? Not any knowledge, but the knowledge of His will. Where do I find out about His will? Ephesians 1, don't I? I find His will out in Paul's epistles. I need to have some understanding. I need to have some wisdom and some spiritual understanding. The great three, the gold, precious stones, and the gold, silver, precious stones here, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. I got to have that. And when I have it and I have it in me, now what can I go do? Now I can go have a worthy walk. Now I can come out here and I can have the word of God and the sound doctrine grip me and fill me up and move me along in that walk that's worthy. How? Because I got over here and I said, you know what? I want this to grip me. And off I went. Come over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You know Hebrews 4 and verse 12. You should. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Folks, the Word of God, <laughs> He reads your meter at every roll. He's the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Jeremiah says, your heart's desperate and wickedly, and you can't know it. The Word of God knows it. By the way, verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The Word of God, that's what energizes the believer. That's what energizes your Christian life. It's the quickening. It's powerful. It's the, it's the energy. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse number 13. Paul write, writing to the Thessalonians, the end of the verse there, the Word of God which effectually worketh also in you, that believe. The word will work. He looks at those Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 2 and he says, I wrote you a letter. And you know what? You guys finally paid attention and you obeyed the letter. And wow, look, that letter got you to godly sorrow and godly repentance. And you guys fixed the situation. The word works. The power of the Holy Spirit works. And it works in your life through the Word of God as you intake the doctrine daily. As you come along, come over to Romans 12. As you go in there and as you renew your mind day by day, and as you put it in and as you begin to take it in and you, you, you take it in daily, you, you're, you're, you're diligent about it, you're consistent with it, and as you take it in and you store it up, the next thing you know, you'll be in a situation and a verse will pop and run across your thinking pattern and you'll go, whoa, wait a minute, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. And you'll, whoa, you're, you know, whoa, whoa is me. <laughs> whoa down, you know, whoa, slow down here. Now, 
Romans 12, 1 and 2 is the mechanism of how this works, how the Word empowers the believer. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. No, by the way, beseech, not begging. He, this, that's not a begging word, okay? Beseechment is, here is the Apostle Paul looking at the Romans and saying, come and join us. And the reason I want you to come and join us is the mercies of God, which is the first 11 chapters of Romans. What, he justified you, he gave you an identity, and, he, and he's dealing with you directly, not, through, not with you through the nation of Israel. Those are mercies of God. And you begin to look at that, and you begin to work through that. Why? That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. I love a living. So there's a principle here, a living sacrifice principle. What does that mean? What is that going to look like? Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Never before has Paul talked about service. Your first book, chapter 12, now we're going to talk about service. But a reasonable one, something that's reasoned. It's, you think it through. It isn't going to be your favorite thing to do, and it might be your favorite, but it's reasoned. We're going to think this through. You're holy. You're sanctified. You're accepted unto God. Now watch verse 2. And be not conformed to this world. Isn't that interesting? We're a lot of, we live in the world, but we're not of the world. Be not conformed to this world. Conformity. Coming in and, and, and pressed into a... You, you, have you ever seen them make stuff? Linda found this thing on the TV about super factories, and they got molds, and they, that mold looks like that, so they fill it full of whatever, and it does what? It conforms the goo to what it's supposed to be. Be not conformed. You're not to look like the world, but be ye transformed. Think about that. Transform, transformation. You think about a butterfly, the caterpillar to the butterfly is illustration that gets used. What are we doing? We're, we're transformed, but how? By the renewing of your mind. There is a renewal. The Word comes in and renews the believer's mind by re-educating it, by taking it. Because when you got saved, you didn't, you didn't lose the way you thought about things. You thought, I mean, here you are, you trust Christ, you, you understand justification, you understand eternal security, and the next thing you know, you just got up the next day and you still ate bacon and eggs, you still did what you did, you didn't change, until what? Until somebody comes along and shows, hey, here's a life to live, and here's the lifestyle, and here's the proper, and the Word comes in and renews the believer's mind by re-educating it. The Word renews that by, by, com by coming in and fortifying the conscience of the believer, building it up in the faith and grace. You take out the old viewpoint and you put in the divine. Info. You're putting off the old man and you're putting in the new man. Then he says, so you're going to renew. It's going to transform you. It's going to change your life. It's going to Ephesians 5.8 you. It's going to fill you up, and then the next thing you know, you've got a melody in your heart to the Lord, and you've got a happy song, and you're singing, It is well with my soul, and you're going along, and you don't have a, you, 
My dad used to say, pick up your bottom lip before you trip on it. You know, you're down in the dump. You don't do, you're over here, you're going, and you're working, and you're moving forward. And you got the word of Christ dwelling in you richly. But then he says, that ye may prove. Isn't that interesting? In Malachi 3, God says, prove me to Israel. You guys are robbing me of offerings and tithes? Prove me. Test me out. See what we're going to do here. That's what he's saying here. Prove me. Prove that ye may prove. Come in here. Do it the way I'm telling you to do it. And what's good? what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Now, man, that's a great list right there. But I want you to kind of think about it a little differently than you've always thought about it. Good. In Genesis 1, God created, and he would say what? It's good. Why was it good? Because it had a purpose, it had a design for it to be accomplished. It wasn't good in that it was perfect. He knew that. It was good in that what did it do? It, there's a purpose to it, a design in it. So when you and I come along and we're going to look at the will of God, which, by the way, we have no clue what it means in Romans 12. We haven't been introduced to it. But what are we going to say? It's good. Why? Because it's got a purpose to it. It's got a design to it. Then he says, and, uh, and acceptable. There's a reason for it. I may not see it, but I'm going to believe it. It's in God's word. I'm going to believe in the purpose. So what? I'm going to accept it. I'm going to prove down here, and I'm going to look at it and say, there's a purpose for it. There's a reason for it. I don't understand what it is, but I'm going to accept it and perfect. You know what that is? That's maturing the inner man, growing up in the inner man. You, with, you guys follow what's happening here? I know what religion does, you know, those three steps in God's will and where, which step are you on. No, it's not that at all. What are we doing? We're looking at things going, you know what, it's good. It's got a purpose for it. Come over to chapter, you're in chapter 12. Come over there to verse uh, 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Okay, we got that? We understand what's going on? Is it possible to live peaceably with all men? Yeah. You just got to want to do it. You got to just take the step. But look at verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Now, how many of you understand what that is? Now, I mean, today you probably do more than you used to. But when you first got started, you read that verse and you go, what? What is that all about? But what is it? It's good. There's a purpose for this. There's a reason. It's acceptable. I don't un might not understand it. But I do know that it's going to perfect me and grow me up, so I'm going to look at it. I'm going to pay attention to it. Then he says, verse 20, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. What is that all about? I don't know what it is. I'll study it. I'll look into it. So I know it's good because it's got a purpose and a design to it. I know it's acceptable. There's a, I don't know what it is yet, but it'll get there. And I know that it's going to work and grow me up perfect me. So literally at the end here of chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, you see Paul lay out God's will to you as you start living as a member of the church, the body of Christ. And he uses specific areas to get you to think about, hey, there's something going on here.
Come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You see, folks, we are to be renewing our minds. We don't want to walk after the flesh because that leads to death and destruction and condemnation. I want to come over here and walk on after grace and after the, be led of the Spirit, and I want to live in who I am in Christ and where I'm supposed to be and as I learn and as I grow. By the way, that's why in Romans 8 he says we don't know what we ought, how we ought to pray. Why? Because you're still learning. See, You're not on the pinnacle of Ephesians. It's interesting, in advanced doctrine, Paul records five of his, of his prayers for the saints. Two in Ephesians, two in Philippians, one in Colossians. And guess what? None of them asked for the Powerball numbers. <laughs> and everybody in the room that plays Powerball is asking for the numbers. doesn't say anything about a new car, new house, new job, new whatever. It says what? I want you to be enlightened. I want you to be empowered. I want you to have a little, little uh, uh, understanding of how to make decisions. I want you to have a little peace. And I want you to come to know him deeper and deeper and deeper. See, we've got to think about this. 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 16, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not on the things Look not at the things which are seen. There's a walk by sight. But at the things which are not seen, walk of faith. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not are eternal. What is this thing called grace? Another component of it is of the Word of God re-educating your mind. Giving you the understanding of all that you have in Christ. And as it does that, and as you learn that, it transforms you. It brings all of that into your walk, your life. And you're motivated and you're empowered to go live like who you are in Christ. Why? Because I'm renewing it day by day. Not once a week, not once a month, but every day. That's why we encourage you to read three chapters a day. The end of June's come, July's coming, August is coming. You can read three chapters a day, Romans to Philemon, and guess what you get? 28 days later, you're done with the 13 epistles. Start over, take a day off, start over the next day. Why? Because you're constantly feeding the Spirit. Bullinger said in his book on the two natures of a believer that the dog you feed is the dog that wins. If you feed the flesh, guess what's going to win? The flesh. If you're feeding the spirit, your inner man, guess what was going to win? You're that over there. What is this thing called grace? Yes, it's about our justification. Yes, it is about the free gift. Yes, it is about our identity. But it's also about our life as we go and live. I said it last week. I'll say it again, folks. We have the privilege of putting on display the culture of heaven right here in the ghetto of humanity. And if you think about that, nothing will stop you from being who you are in Christ. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for who we are 
in your Son and for everything that you've given to us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll stand. We'll be dismissed with the song.